go to Mum's, kill Phil, sorry, grab Liz, go to the Winchester, have a nice cold pint, and wait for all this to blow over. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy! But with us, one like our recording schedule is terrible, and then it's usually like it comes in threes. Right. So by the time it's your turn, like you've forgotten how to do the entire. Thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 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 just all falls out of your head, <laughs> especially yeah. like threes. And you guys do you're you're like me every two weeks, so it's like a month and a half before you need to do your thing again. The other two have like really really hectic schedules. We it's very difficult to actually keep to a proper schedule. We try. Yeah. But it's really difficult. So we don't we end up like recording like once in two months. Yeah. So and yeah, so yeah, by the time it's your turn again, like half a year has gone by. <laughs> I can't blame you. I would forget too. Greetings and salutations. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada, and you are listening to a matinee cast presentation of the Winchester Chronicles. This is dispatch number nine. Our mission is this COVID nineteen is affecting everybody's lives and obviously that includes being able to go to the movies. That means that our usual discussions of cinematic passion and perspective need to shift. However, it doesn't mean that the overall film discussion needs to stop. So while we wait for the whole thing to blow over, we virtually sit here in our virtual Winchester pub and turn our attention to the best films of the decade gone by instead of the new releases we usually cover. You know, once upon a time, this podcast was a place where accents could be heard often. Back when I was more prolific and active in the blogging community, voices on the show came with accents from Finland, Sweden, Ukraine, Australia, England, and on and on and on. As a man who loves a good accent, I feel ashamed that I have become so isolated and less worldly. I sure can't step on a plane right now, but that's no reason that this space needs to stay so domestic, is it? So, we bring in an accent, a chick with an accent. And yes, it is rather unfeminist of me to call a woman on today's show a chick, but that's her brand, so I must respect. She's one of the chicks with accents you can hear on the Across the Universe podcast. Nick Zara is here. How are you today? I'm good. Yay, I'm back. <laughs> I mean, the last time you were here, we were talking about The Last Jedi. And did you ever expect that yeah. after we had that conversation that that movie would get that much hate? Yeah, I mean, it already started to get but I, I rewatched it since then and I liked it so yeah, much more. I love it. Yeah, I remember you loved it back then. But it's, it's But then it but then there was Skywalker, Rise of Skywalker, so in retrospect like he's laughing. <laughs> exactly. Um and it's funny because I know usually when I have uh when I have one of you or your co hosts on the show, I, I tend to ask if there was ever talk of a meetup of the three of you. And obviously right now I can't even broach that subject. Yeah. On our ninth dispatch of the Winchester Chronicles, we will be discussing Mommy. We'll be turning the record over to play the other side, but first we need to begin with Creature Comforts. Creature Comforts, in case you're new here, uh, it's we're just talking about whatever is passing the time during our lockdown. As Nick and I were talking before the show, this state of perpetual present that we are in. Uh, Nick, get us going. What uh, last few weeks, what's one of the things that you've been uh, passing the time with? I started off like this whole quarantine. I've been living with my younger brother. My brother was eight years younger to me. And this is 
the most amount of time that we have spent together since 2012. <laughs> um, and it's also been one-on-one, which, oh, which has never happened. This is the first time in my life. So uh, in the beginning of the quarantine, it was like a lot of just like cooking food all day, which I didn't used to. I used to order in a lot of time. And right. uh, I had a maid coming in who used to like cook like some basic things. So I didn't really used to cook. So at the beginning, it was like I was cooking all the time. So then I decided to just call that productivity. That is. I mean, we, we talked we talked a lot about that on the last episode. My friend, yeah, yeah, yeah. my friend Kurt was talking about how he's making stuff that takes a lot longer. You're trying to mind your money as well, right? Like, like yeah. ordering out gets expensive. How was that? Like, were you successful in like kind of practicing uh, some new stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, I was really bad. I'm very bad at like, prepping like I take really long so I've become much better at that and I'm really bad with like Indian basics like rice and uh pulses and uh like the Indian breads rotis or us oh wow that was in Hindi word um so uh like I I didn't used to be that good but like I've I've become like pretty good and pretty fast at like at least the basics and then once in a while I try something new when I feel like it I've become good at shakshuka Apart from like the egg, I've still not mastered how to get the right egg consistency that I want. I mean, I remember when I uh, f- when I first moved out and I was like trying to teach myself. Like I I failed so many things, so many bad, so very badly. Um, soup used to be my kryptonite. Like I when I was learning, I was catching on pretty well with like meats and 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 rice dishes and that kind of thing. But I would fail spectacularly at trying to make a soup and the thing is i i also didn't understand how to fix it like a lot of the time i got pretty close and now i would know what to do i would either just like add some some broth in or add some more heat or some more time or something like that and i'd know the chemistry of what i needed to to do to counter it back when i first started it was brutal i'd I'd spend like you know an hour and a half letting some letting some soup kind of like make itself slowly and then it was just close enough but not quite so it would taste just really bland it's fun man just make the mistakes and and keep trying stuff and it's really good have you gotten to the point yet where you can just sort of start making stuff up because i have like a really particular penchant for certain spices so i've always put those spices in whatever i want that's always been i've been like i was always like a decent cook for like more complicated dishes if i tried to make them it was the simpler things as you were saying <laughs> that like that used to and, and I didn't I, also I didn't have the patience for it right so right. now like because a there was no one else B, like there was a lot when the lockdown started there was a lot of talk of like things running out yeah so you had to be really careful with like portion control and things like that yeah yeah you couldn't waste that so yeah so those things were like they were hopefully hopefully they were like long-lasting lessons yeah that's one of my fears with the quarantine is like there are like a lot of things happening like not just in my life but in the world right and i'm like what if this ends and nothing not, everything goes back to the same thing and you just think of it as a fever dream and that's yeah really yeah i i do i do wonder <laughs> about that you know like i wonder about like everything from like how we can work from home to yeah. how we treat people who are you know who are kind of making sacrifices for us i really hope yeah. that whenever we get to the other side of this that 
you know, that we don't forget those. You're right. I hope it's not a fever dream, yeah. but uh, you're <laughs> no. right. There's it's yeah. a huge possibility. Um, well, uh, yeah. like a lot of other people out there, um, one of the things I've been doing over the last two weeks to keep myself company is I tuned into Disney Plus and I watched Hamilton. Oddly enough, the last thing I did before Toronto locked itself down was I actually went to see Hamilton in Toronto live. Um, this is a weird story, and I don't think I've told it on the show yet, so I might as well tell it now. Um, Hamilton <laughs> started in Toronto around mid-February or late February, um, like a full production in our one of our really nice theaters, and... You know, people like tickets sold out in a day for it was going to be here until the yeah. summer. Tickets sold out in a day. Uh, my wife bought us tickets to go see it in May, and I was happy. I was like, my wife had already seen it on Broadway with the original cast wow. because she does wow. these kinds of things. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and I, and I, like everybody else, I'd listened to the soundtrack for years, but this was going to be my shot to see the production live. And then when things kind of started tumbling, um, my my wife was watching what was happening with the production. Like the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, the production company um, Mervish in Toronto, for anybody who's local, started having a lot of cancellations and basically started selling off what they could to try to keep the audience as big as they could. So we were able to get pretty good tickets for like half price, um, and we were sit- like we were sitting in the front row of the balcony. So. It was this gorgeous theater. The crowd was like about two-thirds full. My row was empty, so social distancing that night was great. But I remember <laughs> watching it and thinking to myself at like the intermission, how long is it going to be until I get to do something like this again? Um, because at the time, we had no idea, right? Like Concerts were still kind of yeah. happening and all these kinds of things, yeah. but I was like... I get the feeling that it's going to be a while. So I'd, I'd seen it live, but I'd never seen the original. I I loved what Hamilton was able to capture and how they were able to capture it. Um, you know, obviously technology and, and cameras and, and um, digital photography has come a long way to allow something like this to get captured so very well that it's basically like yeah. a really good concert film, right? I had downloaded the album years ago, but I never listened to it. Because really? on one level, I was also like, like I don't know. I just I had like a weird block in my head that I don't want to listen to it. I want to watch it. Sure. So uh, and and also that I wouldn't understand the context because I had heard. I remember falling slowly way before I had seen once and I had imagined it completely different ah. from how it was in the movie. Okay. So uh, I'm I'm a little skeptical about like listening to songs from musicals, and I thought it's, it's anyways like whatever I'd seen on the internet, it just seemed like such a dynamic thing. Right. And in a way, I'm happy that I didn't. Yeah. Because I was I was it was a complete first time experience for me and my brother. We watched it together. So um, and it was it was it was really really good and I can't imagine how amazing it would have it would have been like watching it live. Like, yeah, it was, it's, it was I you know I it's I I don't expect that this is going to become commonplace because there's a lot of there's a lot of legalities in the way there's a lot of financial questions in the way that would allow something like this to happen. Um, yeah. Hamilton is like. A behemoth of a production that that's really um, kind of a yeah. once in a generation type thing that would allow this. Yeah. But you're right. I, I would. I can't imagine what it was like to to get this, hearing the music and seeing the production for the first time all together. Yeah. That must have been amazing. 
yeah it was it was really it was really cool i cried my brother shed one tear which for him is like crying a lot <laughs> right um but yeah it was it was it was fantastic and i will i know i'm going to like i really want to keep like rewatching and like memorizing the songs now yeah did you have a favorite number just like visually like satisfied yeah was like a stand out for me but i love like i love the ending i don't remember, i don't know all the names yet <laughs> Got lots of got lots of time and it's online. You can watch it as often as you want. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, but for but for sure, like that the satisfied just like visually it was just in, insane. Like I can't again, I can't imagine watching it live. Like wow. What else have you been up to yeah. while you've been locked down? I finally watched all of Sex in the City. How is- okay. Uh, so I've seen bits and pieces i you know i know a bunch of the references and that kind of thing how does that show play now some of it is very very dated not gonna (laughs) lie but it's quite funny and quite engaging throughout it and the characters are just like really fun like i didn't even like so after i watched it my so i watched it with my brother i started watching it for myself and then he's like i like this i'm also going to watch it with you so like fine uh and right after it ended we also watched the two movies and i know like sex in the city 2 is like a dump but because i have been with those characters for like a month right it didn't it didn't seem as awful to me because i could like relate to that character journey like it was still awful but it wasn't like like the worst movie i've ever seen right maybe because I, it was so fresh for me it can be really really funny like that i would give it especially like uh kim katras like yeah it's a bit it, it can be a little slut shamey and this and that but i don't know because well the other thing is because i'm also watching seinfeld and kobe enthusiasm oh man you're just having a whole big 90s week yeah so it's like i'm kind of in that like weird zone <laughs> where a lot of the things that are dated don't seem as dated right um in that way yeah yeah, yeah. so those are the way. and then obviously i watched like a lot of bts like i could be watching all the plays <laughs> and reading all the books i follow your twitter I, believe me i, I know said, i know i'm sorry it's i feel bad right. but like nope. but i i can't be bothered to like make another account it's your so, it's your Twitter woman. Do what you want to with it. It's it's fine. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I just every time yeah. I see like a little flurry of BTS tweets, I know who they're coming from. I it's, know. I know. Uh, so, it's it's really amusing. I, I I gotta be honest. I don't. I think I've heard maybe one of their songs ever. Um, I okay. know who they are as an entity, and I know that they're big. But if you yeah. played me sixteen bars, I wouldn't know who they were. So one of these days, I like, and I also know that they are not marketed for me <laughs> you know what i mean i'm sure i'm sure it'd be like That's interesting not true. it's not okay it's not i will true. i in in honor of you i will give it a go i will i will like listen to some albums i listen to some songs i'll see what like yeah. see what hits me um i'm like i'm i'm always impressed with you know wh- how a band can become this big for a moment or two i always think it the only the sad thing is when it's a boy band it's usually only a moment or two just own your fandom okay i i'm not going to yeah. throw stones at somebody else's yeah. fandom just own it um well it's funny that you mentioned watching um sex in the city quite a bit the last little while because there's another show on hbo um that's got women at its core and it's got uh, sex at its core that i've been watching lately but it's new um have you watched this show yeah have you watched i may destroy yeah. you 
I, I literally started it yesterday, but then had to do some work and had to stop it like 10 minutes in. Okay. But yeah, I put it on my watch list and so I will watch it. So how far in did you get? Literally 10 minutes. It okay. just started okay. for me. I, uh, but I'm already impressed with like the soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, I know. As we record this, there's four episodes that have gone live the day that this posts on uh, Monday, uh, July uh, 13th. Uh, the, the fifth episode will go up. This is a show created and written by Michaela Cole. Um, it's, she's a, a writer. She's an author. Like she's a Twitter star turned writer, um, whose debut book was huge. And now she's trying to work on her follow up book while living the life of a mid twenties, you know, as, as the, title of her book is called Millennial Icon and just living life in London. Um, it, the show is incredible. It deals with a lot to do, um, you know, with like modern sex and uh, certainly with sexual assault. Um, it, it deals with like her, her circle is really fascinating. She's got a best friend who's like a, a struggling actress who's really cool. Her brother is amazing. And the, the the show is so smart and so handsome. There's an entire episode that takes place in Italy, and it just made me want to go back. Something fierce. Um, the main uh, Michaela Cole is the one she stars in it, and you don't see a whole lot of actors who look like her on TV. So it's really wonderful to see somebody kind of just own their own story like this, like writing in in, in a way. It's a lot like Insecure. Um, another HBO show, but in but telling a different person's story in a different part of the world. This show's amazing. I saw Chewing Gum by her, which I really loved. Um, so I've I've like I've had a I've looked out for her ever since. So when this was announced, and then I somehow like um because there's so much that keeps coming out every yeah. day. I forgot that like Search Party is also out. So there are like things to catch up on. But I'm really excited, and I've read like amazing things, and I've bookmarked that. Uh, profile of hers that has just come out yeah. right after I watched the show. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll include a link to that in the, sh- in the show notes of this episode. It was fascinating to read because she was talking about developing this show and how she was talking to both HBO and Netflix about it, but Netflix was basically saying that if, if they went with her, that she wouldn't have any kind of control, like not any kind of control, but she wouldn't have the, the same sort of residuals after it was done. And she was like, why am I going to do this with you? Like, why am I going to give you content and then just hand over all of the money to be made? That's the crazy thing is right now we're locked down, but we, but we still have content, you know, like, I mean, it's eventually going to dry up. <laughs> I really, I really hope that doesn't happen anytime soon, but, um, yeah, it's been wonderful. But then, then you go back and watch the old things like Seinfeld. Yeah, never yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm watching the Americans. I've never watched the Americans. I. I, I started it too. Yeah, so, I'm waiting because I was watching it with a friend. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I love about all those shows that I never had time to watch. Now I've got nothing but time, yeah. and you know, eventually the new shows are going to stop. Well, there we go. That's yeah. uh, that's been our creature comforts for the last few weeks of uh, lockdown. But uh, we have a movie to talk about. Come on back right after this. The feature dispatch for episode number nine is Mommy, right after this little break. Today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you. By now, you should have somehow realized what you gotta do. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Mommy. 
Mommy was released in 2014, directed and written by Xavier Dolan. It stars Anne Dorval, Antoine Oliver Pilon, and Suzanne Clement. Mommy is about Diane Dupree. She's referred to for the most of the movie as Die. That's Andor Val. She's 46. She's a fledgling newspaper writer, and she begins the film by collecting her son, Stephen, that's Pilon, from juvenile detention. Stephen is ADHD teen with violent tendencies, but Die is hoping that love is all he needs. I'd love to tell you that she's right. Soon, a namer named Kyla is brought into the mix. That's Suzanne Clement. She serves as a friend and counsel for Di and a teacher-slash-surrogate mother for Stephen. For a while, the whole situation seems to be looking up. However, Mommy wants to prove the Beatles wrong and show that sometimes love is not all you need. Mommy is a movie that opens with a car crash. It ushers us in sweetly with spring weather and chimes of Sarah McLaughlin and then... Wham! Steel and glass smacking into one another. It's an apt way to start the story since perfectly normal scenes can quickly turn into wrecks that we can't look away from. So pop quiz, Hotshot. Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we get into the car knowing that it's going to collide? Why do we champion films that are downright painful and emotionally violent? That was a really hard question. I mean, it's it's a very I was not expecting. sure. It's it is a broad question. It's one that I I ask myself yeah. all the time. When you mentioned mommy on the list, and I went right for it, and I mean, it was yeah. funny because you said yourself you knew I was going to do that. Yeah, you know, we both we both love this movie. We both watching yeah. it think to ourselves, "This is fantastic," and yet it's it's an emotional ringer. But neither one of us would ever say no, I can't watch that, you know, I, I, I can't see something that dark. Like, we watch these kinds of things all the time. And, I know. And, and it's, it's a strange, it's a strange thing to do, not only right now, like saying, you know, why would we watch something like this right now is one thing. But, you know, just, this is a kind of movie that we go back to, these kind of darker movies, serious, heavy, emotionally fraught, um, and I and I I do wonder sometimes why we do that. It's from case to case. Something like Mommy, I would do because of how insanely beautiful the film is. Like to look at the acting. That's why, like some people, like consider drama like the higher form, right? Sure. Uh, or like tragedy is a higher form because you get to oh god, suddenly I'm getting all of my English major like flashbacks. Uh, <laughs> Suddenly it's like catharsis. We need catharsis to get rid of all the emotions in our body. I was happy to see mommy because I was not having the best week. Really? Yeah. And I needed something to sort of like expel the emotions that I wasn't like being able to do it naturally. And mommy, like I get really like, it's exactly the type of movie that I know that I will like weep a lot in and I will like, hopefully feel better for the entire week too. Right. so sometimes it's movies like i watch it especially when i know i'm gonna cry yeah uh because i've been having a bad week but that it's i just need an outlet to justify the crying yeah and that that's i think that's why i reach for the same things as well like i mean one of my know your enemy questions is what is your sick day movie and my sick day movies tend to be darker movies like seven or um uh you know eastern promises or uh even something like <laughs> even something like schindler's list believe it or not and it's just because i already yeah. feel so lousy 
you know, I, I don't want something that's going to make me necessarily feel better. I want something that's going to try to even my mood and kind of match my demeanor so that I can eventually kind of get my, my core back to normal and rise up. And, and that is why I think I, I reach for some of these movies as well is to be deeply affected, you know, like we watch, you know, all of these joyous properties like our Marvel movies and our Hamiltons and our Star Wars and whatever. And, and we do get these moments that are really just exuberant and, and, you know, kind of sensory overload, but it's, it's a different than witnessing something that we could witness in our lives. Like, you know, that, I think that's the thing with mommy is I've heard about this kind of dynamic okay. and I've seen yeah. these kinds of families, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, not yeah. like in my own circle, but you'll, I'll read about them and I'll, I'll learn about them. And they're, they're people who could be like within my orbit. Yeah, it, hit, it hits harder than something. Don't get me wrong. Fantastic. Like seeing Captain America lift up the hammer, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but it, it, it hits in a much more personal way. Um, yeah. This was, you know, this was a movie that you presented to me. What do you love about this movie? What is it not to love? Well, yeah. I really, I genuinely like, I, again, like on, on rewatch, I think, okay. So when I came on uh, the show last, you had asked that, what is a movie that left you speak? Listen, mommy was my answer. Right. And it's still like I've watched it maybe three or four times since I first saw it, uh, including today. And honestly, like when I first saw it, so when I first saw it, it was uh, obviously 2014 and I saw it in a film festival and I was 22 and I'm 27, which like math terms doesn't seem like a long time. Oh, no, that's a long, long time. I'm a vastly different person. Yeah. Now. yeah. And a lot of the things I don't like, my taste has also changed a lot. And there's a lot of things that, like, even something like something that I genuinely love, like I watched Junking Express uh, a couple of weeks back, and I could, like, there are issues that I could see, which I was like, why am I seeing these? Like, I love this film. Right. Um, but, uh, but, like, I, could, I can't, I can't, like, fault mommy. I still think it's absolutely incredible and it's also it's i mean people use this term but it is pure cinema oh it's, yes it's it's it it needs to be watched i was so sad watching it on my tv because it needs to be watched on the biggest screen possible mm-hmm. it just i just i was so because it wasn't being like the moments i knew the moments were there but the setting wasn't there I want to have a few movies, but this is definitely a movie that you can say that like it it exi- it was just made like this is it could only have happened in film. Yeah, yeah, I I totally get that. I mean, you raise an interesting point because coming back to these movies after after several years have passed going back at this point like six years um no a, lo- a lot has changed in us a lot has changed in the world and uh, these things are going to hit you very very differently sometimes for the worse so i'm actually happy to hear that you went back to this and it and it hit you even harder because i'd hate to you i'd hate for you to like yeah. look back on this movie and be like oh man this movie is not aging well um i know and yeah no totally the the difference in your 
world outlook and your personal experience from 22 to 27 is huge. It's, it's, it seems like it shouldn't be that much, right? Like still in your twenties, it's no, but it's, it's massive. And, and you can start to empathize with these characters so much more. This was only the second time I've seen this movie. Okay. Um, I, I saw it. Okay. In, I saw it in the theaters when it when it dropped in 2014, and then just yesterday when I watched it on my TV. And you're right. This is a movie that I feel like needs to be bigger. Um, watching it at home, I really missed the scale that a big screen yeah. comes with um, for reasons that we'll get back to in a second. But it it is so grand. Um, it, it, it is just so raw. And I think what I really latched on to this time is the theme that comes up early um, when she's, she's signing her son out of uh, juvenile detention, or she's like, you know, t- taking custody back of him. And the, the counselor is talking about, like, what, what are you going to do? What's your approach going to be? Uh, you know, there's the story opens with this law that has been put into place that um, troubled children can be basically handed over into custody um, without due process. Um, She says, like, are you going to try taking advantage of that? And she says, loving people doesn't save them. Love has no say. And I, Mm -hmm. that hit me just so much harder this time around Mm -hmm. that, you know, when it comes to our family and our friends, where mental health is at issue, it's not a question of how bad you want it and how much you love them and how much care you're prepared to give. It's, it's just straight up out of your control. And it's not, yeah. a, you know, it's, it's not a matter of, of do you love them enough to, to give them a proper life that, that hit me that much harder this time. For me. So <laughs> a very different thing happened because I've been living with my brother uh, who's eight, I was like eight years younger than me that I've like sort of become like a half mom figure <laughs> um, and I was especially in the beginning of the movie you know like when the way that they're talking like I I, I was like because it's like a weird feeling of like having to take care of someone when you don't exactly know how to take care of yourself and it's like and it's been like four months of that for me right now so it's just like that was not that was not a perspective I thought I would ever have. Yeah. Uh, but as the movie goes on, it's very very different. I couldn't believe it in that terms. But it just it's like the the moment it happened, like I was just like, shit, is this me? <laughs> <laughs> so that that happens like sometimes. So that that was just like that was my like really weird take from it for a second. It's also like especially with the character of Kyla as well. That's why we have like two mother figures that to show like what the idea of motherhood can be like uh, I remember um, when I first seen it I seen it with a group of like my like my girl gang uh, so we were just like completely silent after having watched it you know we like we were silent like the whole car journey back and one of the first things one of my friends said was like I don't understand why people should give birth if they know that they can't take care of the kids and I, I remember that so clearly because, and I was watching this today and I was just like, I don't see that now. Like I, I can see how much, how hard she tried, mm-hmm. you know, and especially like um, the scene after he slits his wrists, you know, when she's in the ambulance, when it, the, the frame is just on her, like you can just see like when it's dawning on her that like, I, I can't, I have to give up. Like I tried 
my waterworks obviously started but i can't remember exactly how i felt about this when i first saw it i just remember my friends remark right but but this time like it was just like i was just like she just she tried so hard yeah and Val in this movie i don't i've probably seen her in other things because i mean she's a canadian actor so odds are i've seen her in stuff um but um she i mean she's been in a lot of other xavier dolan movies she was in lawrence anyways um i killed my mother as well uh you know she she does a lot from moment to moment in this movie you're watching her as much as this movie is easy to get caught up in Steven and how frenetic yeah. he can be from moment to moment. It really is her tale, which is apt considering it's called mommy and you're seeing yeah. her, you know, trying to get her work life together, trying to take any advantage she can, not because she wants to use people or exploit people, but just because every little edge means so much more for her situation and Stephen's situation. Yeah, and you can see her almost resisting it at first. Yeah. Like, she has that pride, but she has to then, like, overcome it every time. Yeah, yeah. She's, you know, she's not, like, she's not a user. She's not somebody who's out to exploit people, whether it's her girlfriend or her boss or the the guy who obviously, uh, the the lawyer who kind of has the hots for her. She doesn't want to you know, use people for her own gains. She's just barely keeping shit together and she needs these people. She's not shy at all about showing her gratitude and her appreciation, whether it's, you know, come over for dinner. Let me cook for you. Let me help you with this. Let me, however, let me help you with your stutter, whatever it is. She's, she's a gracious person, but she knows that she needs, you know, any little bit of help she can get. It's incredible watching Andor Val, play this part um you know even right down to the fact that she's a woman who's kind of still trying to pretend that she's 31 her look is so incredible i was just noticing like the movie starts with her with those jeans with her like fake highlights slash extensions yeah you know um but it's so specific like i just i loved the specific of it. <laughs> like it was just I was just admiring all that but I also I really also love the other two performances like every time the the, the vein pops in Suzanne Clemens forehead when yeah. she's trying so hard to say words and mm-hmm. I was just like how like how how did she like you know you can see the strain yeah. and like it's and it's but it's not like you know it's acting and it's it's just it's insane and like and also like I haven't seen Pilon in anything else after that which is in, again insane because he has so much natural energy and like just the way I mean for me him in this movie is just the way his eyes are captured yeah it's just incredible it's 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 wild watching him because he he kind of has it's I'm sure part of it is by design He's got a look about him that really makes you kind of want to hit him a lot. I don't know if it's how blonde he is or how he wears his hair or the clothes that he's outfitted in, but he just seems like such a shit so often. And there's actors in Hollywood that have very punchable face. 
And he's he's one of Answer those. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, he's one of <laughs> he's one of those. But at the same time, like you know, he's this woman's whole world. His father died several years ago. She's been trying to keep it together and 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 raise this guy. So because of how much she loves him, we want to see that succeed. And in yeah. the moments where he is being really sweet you're like oh is this the real you because now i get it is this the version of you that's adjusted gives back to the people who are helping you because this i understand like this guy i like the guy you know yeah. who who yells and who's very violent that guy i don't like but this guy i, I get yeah. it so so because this movie shows the sweet side of him uh, quite often mm -hmm. you you're we're drawn yeah. in right yeah and i also think like it did, I mean, again, I don't remember if I noticed it before, but like the the brawl that he has in the karaoke bar, like you actually kind of understand how he sees the world. So you can almost like imagine why he himself is so frantic because he sees things in like flashes and it will drive like I think anyone mad. And I don't know if I like I had ever I mean, I don't know if I ever caught on to that before. Like, uh, so even that for me was just like, I could, I like, I could see, I could understand, like someone like that, it must be real. I, I don't see him that much as a ship. Like I feel, uh, I won't say maternal for sure, okay. but, <laughs> but I do like, I really like feel, I do feel towards him maybe because he's like a Xavier Zola standard and like, I was like obsessed with Xavier Zola when I came out. I don't know, but I don't really, I just, I'm also, I also do feel like I do really badly want him to succeed yeah. throughout it. Oh um, yeah. You sympathize with him, right? Because yeah. he's he's being raised by a single mom. Um, he's already been, you know, locked up once. He's probably really afraid of that happening again, even though that like, it's it's never articulated. But he's got to be panicked about that yeah. happening ever again. Anytime somebody else comes in and competes for his mother's attention whether it's you know whether whether it's a date or whether it's a friend he he's worried that his place in her pecking order is going to shift so he yeah. reacts badly right and it, and it's everything yeah. from like you said that karaoke moment where he basically torpedoes her date yeah. to the first time that um Oh, what was it? the first time that Kyla is trying to homeschool him and he basically like yeah. tries to sabotage the whole thing. It's terrible to watch, but at the same time you get why he's doing it, which is what makes this movie yeah. so like work so well. We haven't yet talked about the actual like visual presentation of this film. It, it's shot square. It's shot in a like one-to-one -one aspect ratio. Yeah. Um, I, I think this is one of the things that you were alluding to off the top when you were talking about how we need to see this big. You're losing half the screen anyway, but at the very mm -hmm. least, if you're losing half the screen and you're in a theater, it's still larger than life. When you're watching it in a, on a square on your TV at home, it, it, it doesn't feel right. You don't see a whole lot of movies in that one-to-one -one format. How did that, mm -hmm. as, a, as a technique, work yeah. for you? I, I love it. Obviously now, like it was also called, I think it was called the Instagram ratio when it came out, right? Yeah, but yeah. I was just, I was watching it and because the film is so beautiful that like, you can literally like screenshot any point of it. And it, it, it reminded me of like, there's like those square photo frames, mm -hmm. you know, like you can literally like take like any like screenshot from this film and like you can like have like your little 
like cinema wall or something it's so beautiful and obviously the the whole thing about the aspect ratio also helps it's not like it would have been a, it would feel like a gimmick now yeah like i also something that i like i had in my notes i wrote for like why i think this film is for this decade but, but it completely justifies it by the story and by the characters because it knows like when to go in so that you feel the entire like what they are thinking or how they are feeling you know you it just it puts you in the headspace like i really i mean i would i really can't think of a film that makes you feel its emotions because like how like like how into it you are mm-hmm. the way this does like i haven't uh, i mean i know like there are movies like son of saul and all which are all close ups yeah but i also really admire when it's not a close up the full frames are also is cre- incredibly beautiful and like they all like they're not wasteful especially like Xavier Dolan who has like a tendency for flourishes but i think in this movie he just every every shot of it counts for like for a characterization or a, like a, a feeling which is like enhanced by that like that small frame mm-hmm. I feel because you're completely into it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very intimate way to capture a film, even in the scenes that uh, are are drawn back a little bit, and you can see more in the frame than usual. You know that you're in a tight space with these people. Like it's kind yeah. of like you know the if you if you go out back when we could go out if you if you if you go out with somebody and you're sitting six people in a booth that's meant for five you know you're you're in really close and you're you're hearing people and you're in a much more personal space when it comes to the kinds of houses that these people would have they're not exactly going to be the kind of houses that are very very spacious so the Mm -hmm. the one-to-one format it really kind of underlines the claustrophobia of this situation when it's going badly, um, which mm-hmm. happens several times over the course of this movie, you really, you really feel like you're in it. You feel like you've, you've got nowhere to go. Like you're in the back seat of the car and mommy and daddy are fighting in the front seat. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it really does go a long way to making you feel this movie that much more. And then obviously when it, breaks from it is sublime. Yeah, that I mean that's that's the wonderful thing. It, it would be one thing if this movie just decided to stay in a square for for 2 hours and 15 minutes, but those two moments that the film really opens up literally. Um yeah. On top of the fact that in that first moment there's the actual trick of Steven yeah. like pulling the frame open, which I thought was actually kind of cute. Yeah. It really does earn those emotional lifts of be- yeah. of, of having uh-huh. the room to, to breathe. I want to talk about that moment later on for another thing. Sure, okay. The, the thing I love about this movie is it's got a lot of emotional honesty when it comes to watching grown-ups. Maybe this is something mm-hmm. that hit you a little harder watching it at 27. We're seeing grown-ups try to get out of being stuck in a moment. You know, whether it's yeah. die... Now being a single mom, her her partner has died and trying to do everything from raise this kid with special needs to looking for companionship. You know, she like we were talking about how she dresses and how she does herself up. She still 
trying to kind of approach the world like she's 10 years younger than she is, maybe even 15 years younger than she is, even to how um, Kyla is trying to get – like she's in the sabbatical, right? Like she's she's taking a break from work because all of a sudden she's come down with a stutter and she's trying to get past this stutter. That's one of those things as I get older I love seeing in film is seeing these stories of somebody who went left instead of right – and now they're trying to, you know, deal with that course. I think that, that I think that's what I meant. Like I was like, I started identifying with her, um, but yeah, I did. It did, and that's why I think like for me, like maybe when I'd seen it earlier, I would have felt more strongly for like how Stephen was. But now yeah. I really, really felt um, how difficult it was uh, for Di and um, for uh, Kyla as well, but especially for Di because it's, it is her movie. Well, for both of them, really. I mean, like we haven't yet talked about the fact that this movie at times can be really, really emotionally violent. Like the arguments yeah. that take place, I mean, I say arguments, really they're fights that take place yeah. within this movie are horrifying like there's people with hands on throats there's people there's things getting thrown around there's furniture that's getting dropped there's locked doors um as time goes on and and the world around us gets shittier and shittier watching those kinds of things can be just really traumatizing watching those kinds of situations now that you're that you're older i mean watching them for me i've i've never mercifully i've never been part of that kind of situation yeah but watching yeah. watching things like you know die literally pulling a bookcase and basically dropping a bookcase on her son yeah you know yeah. to seeing kyla pin steven in place at one point and scream right yeah. into his face to the point where he pisses his pants this is what i yeah. talk about when i talk about like why do we do this to ourselves yeah, I know. Like, that's why I had fallen in love with, like, Xavier Dolan movies, because he's not subtle, and sometimes you just want to have that sort of, like, I mean, I have, like, thankfully, knock on wood, never been part of anything. Maybe, maybe that's it for me. Like, at this point, like, I can just observe. Yeah. I mean, I think you are coming from it in a different way. For me, it's more like an observational thing. It is still, like, awful, but it's, it's still like it's I can maybe just like have that divide of it being cinema and maybe like I was just thinking about like why we watch bad things is maybe to feel better about our own lives yeah I mean uh, that's the one thing I could say <laughs> I, I, like at least I've never dropped a bookcase on somebody um I know. but again and that's that's the power right that's the emotional power of this film is we watch in a very real way like that that scene where Kyla has him pinned to the floor yeah. and oh, is screaming yeah. in his face. Like her stutter is long gone uh, at this point. Yeah. And she's basically completely emasculating him right, you know, within inches of his eyes. It's, it, mm-hmm. it's powerful as can be. It's as powerful as anything that you're likely to find in a film. Yeah. And yet it's terrifying yeah. to see. For me, I honestly, I'll tell you, my entire brain was like, look at that composition. Look at the way they framed it. <laughs> So that was me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get, I get. So it, I just, I'm so, I just love the way this film looks so much that I, I get like lost sometimes. Honestly, I mean, um, yeah, that, that's and that's the difference is you can get lost in it as a piece of art, whereas if you were in the room, you'd probably leave the room, right? Yeah, 
I would, yeah, that would, that I would, I have been, one time I have been around an altercation and it was like, and I literally cried on the street and I was like, I didn't know I was that person. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. So, you you, you learned um, it quick. <laughs> so it, it was, it was literally like after it happened, like I was just like, wow, I did not know that about myself, that I'm that person. That, that it, in real life, it's horrible. It's nice. And it's in like pretty colors on TV. Yeah, I think, um, you know, now on the opposite side of things that where, where we're talking about, like how beautiful this movie is, um, there's, there's two things in the, in the beauty and, and the joy of this movie that I wanted to touch on first, and please try to control your surprise. We need to talk about this soundtrack. <laughs> so this movie is entirely made up of, I mean, along with its score, and it does have a very beautiful score, but it's entirely made up of these nineties pop songs. Uh, and yeah. we're talking about like French Celine Dion songs. We're talking about like Sarah McLaughlin, Wonderwall, Dido. This is a really interesting soundtrack to hang on a 2014 movie. I know, but that's why I used to love David so much. <laughs> Every time like there is like a soundtrack moment, I'm like, yes. Because I, well, my first David Dolan film was Heartbeats. And there's that one scene in which um, Xavier Dolan himself and the actress, they're looking at their object of desire and there's like this techno music playing. And I'd never seen anything like that. So, and I never heard anything. I never seen like music used that way. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it was like extremely, and I had like, it was extremely thrilling for me. Like when I first seen it, when every time there would be like a musical thing, cause I'm like, yes. Right. That's what I fell in love with. But then there is also like experience at the end, which I literally I can't listen to it without crying. I can't because of this film. Every time I listen to it, I will weep. Which song? And, uh, the uh, the music at the end, experience. Oh yes, by yes. Yeah, I can't. I have to Google it. Um, but which plays with the second aspect ratio thing? Right. Um. But, oh, God, like, this film has, like, destroyed that music for me forever. Um, I can't, I can't. Um, but it's just, it's just his style, you know? Like, that's, like, that's why he was, like, unfortunately, he hasn't made anything that good since Mommy. Yeah, um, we'll, but, we'll, we'll but get back to that, too. Then, <laughs> yeah, but up until then, like, that was, for me, like, one of the reasons why I would go to a Xavier Dolan film is to see, like, how he uses his soundtracks. So a lot of, like, why I love, like, why I initially fell for Mommy was also, like, my, like, incredible, like, devotion to um, Xavier Dolan. Now, obviously, again, like, I now I've seen more films and stuff like that, but at the time, he was unique to me. Yeah. So, um, so it's, it just, so, and like, I guess like once you attach those feelings to those moments, it's difficult to like see them any other way. Like I can't, I like the Wonderwall thing again, I will talk about it later, but that, that moment is like, it's, it's one of my favorite, favorite things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's, I mean, the thing that I like about the soundtrack, okay, so besides the fact that I was a teenager in the 90s, and anytime you steer the film that in that <laughs> direction, you're, you're, you're tapping on my, you know, my, my sweet spot. 
these particular types of songs are would be very very nostalgic for Stephen because they're they're the kind of songs that obviously his mom and probably his dad would have been listening to you know they're FM yeah. pop when it comes down to stuff like Dido and and you know French Celine Dion and Sarah McLaughlin so they'd be his memories of when things were better um, and uh, you know because he's. It's 2014. He's about 16. So this stuff, this sort of stuff would have been playing in the car and in their home yeah. when he was a child. Um, on, you know, on, yeah. on top of the fact that, you know, using them for that reason, it's the same. It's the same as any film like you know Forrest Gump using all of those 60s tracks or Captain Marvel using all those 90s tracks. It takes you back to a time where you think things were better. Even though, you know, because you were a kid and you're remembering it yeah. from children's eyes, you know, they may not have been. I do love that these songs were used in that way. Everything from, you know, like you said, the the experience song by uh, Anadi to I'm not even that big of a fan of Lana Del Rey, but Born to Die coming in at the end, ah. it fits yeah. with all those other ones. It's not of the same era but by a long shot, but it fits with all those other songs so well. And provides this nostalgic escape to the past from the very, very emotionally raw present. Speaking of things about this film that are bright and beautiful, we get this sweet and optimistic look at the future, you know, late in this movie, again, where the, the aspect ratio pulls out. And it starts off so innocently. It starts off with Kyla and Di taking Steven to the beach and then, you know, flips forward and forward and forward everything from him holding his acceptance letter in the rain to him going off to college and him getting married. That seems probably got to just like kick you right in the stomach every time. God, it's like emotional thinking about it. But this time, I don't know. Like, I think the first time that I saw it, I was so swept up in it that I didn't even realize when the aspect ratio changed. Yeah, yeah, that's what I love um, about it. When it then came back was like such a such a horrible jolt to reality for me as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because I really, I really wanted to believe. But then this time when I was watching it, it was so like, I'm like, come on, Nick, from five years ago, it was so <laughs> obvious. Because so much of it, so much of it is like, you know, like so many characters are always blurred. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I didn't because it's obviously like I've I'm also been, I've also been reading some things about like how fantasies work and stuff, and that's how it is. It was so clearly dice fantasy, which is also why it's like it's so sad every time you rewatch it. Like now, the first time I was swept away, but now every time it happens, I know for a fact that it didn't happen, and it's just like a punch in the gut. Like it's awful and it's so beautiful at the same time. It's like what could be, but what you know is not going to be. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 so, it's so obvious now, which is makes it even sadder. Like it's so sad. Yeah, and it and you know the fact that it's in this movie is still what makes it so affecting because other movies would just go straight to the cold water drop of him being handed off to the authorities, but this film takes a moment and plays what if. And that's what makes this film so special. Um, You know, I I talk about that drop. I mean, I feel like we get that emotional sink twice. For me, that real heart-stopping moment comes in that karaoke scene 
where you can see how badly he's going to sabotage this, even well before he does it. Like, you can see him just kind of brooding at the table and thinking to himself, how can I screw up the night of my mom and this guy who I really don't like? And him playing it out to requesting to sing a song at karaoke, which is obviously going to go over so badly, to picking that fight and the, and the, and the fight escalating that's one of those times where our heart is just in our throat for watching a bad situation get worse was, and worse and worse. I, I was, I was watching it this time. Um, it's like, it's like when I used to watch Titanic before and I'm like, maybe this time Jack won't die. So, <laughs> like, <laughs> so, you know, I was, and I'm like, why, why would you take him? Like, it's such a, and it's also, again, it's like how I am now, now, like I'm the kind of person who like, tries to figure out all the risks involved you know yeah and it's just it's so painful to see like such an obvious risk and it's just you know it's going to be so bad and it's like wild but at the same time like that's how like humans work and it's it sucks and then that's what like you know there are moments and then and then like i get reminded like that's how like people are just dumb like that so, I mean, we just, we are like stupid creatures of emotions. That's how everything just falls apart. To take us even lower, we get to, we get to the handoff. You know, we get to the end of this film yeah. where she, well, not quite the end of this film, but basically the apex of this film where she has realized quite quietly, like I got to give this film credit for the fact that her decision to hand him off to the authorities in another movie, that would be a much bigger moment than it is. You know, yeah. like she, yeah. she she came to that realization on her own, um, and she they're they're out for the drive, and she just pulls in and she makes up this story about how she has to go to the bathroom, and that moment where you can see that they're pulling in somewhere where they probably shouldn't be pulling in, your blood runs cold, and you're like, oh shit, she's gonna she's yeah. she's turning him in. And yeah. yeah, the 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 way that that is rendered in this movie, it again is just so chilling. Literally, like a rack focus. We see Kyla in the back seat, and suddenly it focuses, and you see those three people coming, and I'm like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> like it is just like again. I, I mean, I just keep getting swept by the the cinematic thought behind it, but it's just it's so beautifully, and at the same time, like so brutally mm -hmm. done you know it's literally in a second that like everything just like goes to shit and it's just it's it's so awful but at the same time like at least this time i it understood why she did it like i feel like she might have not even she might have still like tried yeah harder if he hadn't tried to kill himself yeah i think that that was just like that was the point you know yeah 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 that's 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 the thing is the date, like, you know, she was still going forward after the date went so badly and she's now like, now she's in debt, like really deeply because her lawyer friend is not going to help her now. Um, she, but she's yeah. still pushing forward. But the moment that he, you know, in a, in a like dollar store in a supermarket, basically like, you know, yeah. tried to take his own life. She has this realization of, Nope, I can't do this. And, yeah. you know, we, and we get into it. I, I think this time around, 
I, I can't remember the first time, but this time around, I, re- I, I realized that, that things were about to go sideways when I started seeing fences. Like, it's, it, you know, it's not the kind of place that you turn okay. into to, to take a pee. So when you start seeing mm-hmm. her pulling into, a, like, a secure spot, I'm like, mm-hmm. there's only a handful of places that have fences like that and yeah. long driveways like that. So it's it's that's the oh shit moment that it's like you're kind of thinking to yourself, yeah. it's lucky that he's half asleep in the front in the front seat Mm -hmm. but yeah just like you seeing those out of focus men dressed in white coming towards the car that's the second where it's like ah crap we get this monologue late in the movie dies monologue about choosing hope do you buy that or do you think that she's just trying to bullshit her way out of breaking down do you think that she actually has the hope or that she just doesn't want to admit how how screwed up she really is. So I feel like that depends on how you think the film ended. Okay. Um, because like my, again, like I'm going back to the first time when my friends and I saw it, cause they all thought that he did die and I was convinced that he didn't die. And um, this time I really, I get the feeling that, he didn't still because I really I don't know maybe it's again it's the type of person that I am that I choose to believe in her hope and I feel like it's her just imagining like like for a second breaking down and imagining what that thing could have happened right um but I do like I feel like obviously it won't be the future that she imagined no but I I I think that maybe I don't know. That's just how I am now. I think like, I think the Paddington 2 and BTS have changed me. <laughs> that I choose to like, I choose to like believe in what she said, you know? And, and I think, and um, I, we're going to talk, I mean, it's one of the movies that we'll talk about for the further reading thing. Like maybe that too uh, made me think that way. Yeah. Like I do. I think obviously a part of it is her, like definitely it's her like convincing herself. Yeah, but it's it's also I think that's why like uh, Dolan ended it the way he did. Like I think it's maybe he left it for how for the viewers to choose how they feel about it. Like how what do you think? I mean, I'm an optimist, so I want to believe that she mm-hmm. has hope and that she will live her life hopefully. I mm-hmm. also just look at the situation and think of you know, how she's lived up till now and how she doesn't want, she doesn't want another moment of being emotionally raw in front of a person who's about to leave. Like she's already lost one person who she loves. She's about to lose another person who she loves. She doesn't have it in her to break down again. So she's just saying whatever she can say to appear in control of the situation that that's i mean that that's me and where i'm at with this okay. movie yeah i yeah. i and i like i want to believe that inside she believes that that she is still hopeful that something will change and that one day she'll be able to have her shit together and have her son again and have a good life but all the same in that moment mm-hmm. i really feel like she's kind of lying to herself in that moment to diffuse yeah. having to say goodbye to kyla I think I think there's definitely like some delusion in there, but like I also like sometimes like you know it's like you you have to keep saying something to like make yourself sort of believe it. Yeah. 
I think there's like an element of that in it too. We get to the point at this uh, stage in the Winchester Chronicles where we talk about the the decade gone by and the film you chose and how it fits. So my question to you when it comes to Mommy is how do you feel that it embodies the the decade of its of its release a the aspect ratio as we said like mm-hmm. i think it came out in 2015 when uh in 2014 7 but like you know at that time my as my memory serves like instagram wasn't the way it is now right so it already like captured like like what the rest of the era is going to be at that time and um, the rest of the decade is going to be. And the other thing was like, in a way, like uh, the music, you know, it's like from, it's like 2010 retro. Mm-hmm. It's like retro for 2010s. Yeah, like yeah. that's exactly what you were saying. But I think, I think it's also the music that makes it very much of the decade. Like that's the kind of music that kids that age would listen to for their throwback things you know like including me yesterday i had a fight with my brother because i listened to kylie and he listened to justin Bieber, and i was like fuck you (laughs) (laughs) awesome um yeah yeah i I mean you're right like the 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 movement of the last 10 years to looking at the world through our phones and seeing things in squares and seeing things in vertical rectangles. Um, you know, that, that certainly wouldn't have been, I still bristle by the way at, at vertical rectangles. I'm like, turn your damn phone, turn it sideways. Come on. Um, but, but seeing things in squares is, is certainly something that has really taken off, uh, in, in the last 10 years, um, for sure. Like Instagram yeah. as, as a medium and as a platform, um, it was around at the beginning of the decade. I think it probably launched around 2010, actually. So it's rise as a window into lives, um, and, and the square way usually that that, um, presents itself is is really um quite emblematic of the decade so having a film that is not using the square format as a pretension is using it as the window into the life that that's a that's a really good um way that this movie embodies the decade um my reason for the way that this movie embodies the decade is a little bit more selfish i feel like this is an interesting example of where Canadian film was in the last 10 years. So the way that we capture film has changed dramatically over the last 20 years. And things are much better now. Like you can make a much better product without the kind of money that you needed to drop. Um, if you look right. at older Canadian films, they look really bad. They, and this, I, I and anybody will, you know, back that up. When you get anything earlier than like the the 80s is really, really dodgy. Um, okay. But now, because of the where where cameras are and where digital film is, the 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 playing field has been leveled. So anybody who can tell a story now has the access to the kind of equipment that in the past only really big productions around the world would have. So Canadian film now is looking a lot better in terms of what you would see coming out of the rest of the world. In the last 10 years, a lot of our storytellers have kind of taken this jump to the big stage. So people like Sarah Pauly and uh, Jean-Marc Vallée, and um, you know now we have Denis Villeneuve, who started the decade telling Canadian movies like Encendie and um, Polytechnique. 
Now he's making Dunes, and he made Blade Runner. So the funny thing, though, with how that has been the last decade of seeing Canadian artists graduate into these bigger spots in the world stage is, like you said earlier, Xavier Dolan didn't actually take that leap. Like, around this point... He seemed poised to, you know, he seemed like he was yeah. going to be the guy. His movies were playing can. His movies yeah. like were just getting all this acclaim. And it really felt like he was going to be this next auteur, but he wasn't exactly able to capitalize on it. So it's, it's interesting in that way that the Canadian filmmakers took this huge step forward over the last 10 years and somehow Dolan is still kind of waiting yeah. back home. Yeah. It's sad though. Like, his films were like really formative for me up until mommy they were and then i don't know but i still keep out hope i and and you know why it's you know why you might as well still keep out hope the guy is still really young i know he is is incredibly young and he he may very well still make this leap i mean after this he directed hello right like this then very next year he directed the video for adele which was this gorgeous video that i think he shot on film um he will be fine we will still be seeing lots of films from him and he probably will make that leap at some point and stop making films in canada um but for now it's 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 interesting to see that we end our films here on the winchester chronicles with a souvenir something tangible or intangible if you could take away from this movie and keep you would nick zara what would be your souvenir from mommy So as I've been alluding to it, it would be the moment when the screen opens up mm. in Wonderwall. This is literally, till date, the best moment that I have ever had watching film on a big screen. I think I spoke about it when I last spoke about Mommy in the last Jedi episode that like I literally like I, like I cursed because I could not, it was... Like, it was almost like, like, and it's also like, it's accompanied by like the sound of wind. Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's 4D, 5D, but like in 2D. Yeah. And I'm, it's, it's insane. And it's just, it's so beautiful and breathtaking. And it was just like the most, like one of the most exhilarating things that I've ever seen on screen. And it is, again, that is, it is pure cinema. That can't happen in real life. No, and and that's the thing. You kind of wish it could, right? Like, you you have moments where, you know, you've just had, like, a really good evening with somebody. Or you've just had, like, you've just had a really great presentation or had some fantastic news. And you walk through a door and you feel like you're just, like, ripping the world wide open. But you don't don't actually do that. So seeing that on a movie, seeing somebody actually pull their world into a bigger you know, view, frame of view. It's joyous. It's absolutely joyous. Yeah. Um, my souvenir, I, uh, I want his skateboard. I want his longboard. I, <laughs> I, can, I cannot skateboard for the life of me. I've, I've never been able to master it. Um, it's, it's something that every time I see it, it looks just so freeing. He, you know, that, that I, I think that's the thing is in this movie for all of his flaws, Steven always looks just so at peace 
when he's on his board, yeah. you know, and, and sometimes he's still being a shit. Like he's throwing produce back behind him at, yeah. at cars and that kind of thing. But it's always just so beautiful to see him on that board. So I, I want that board and I want to be able to ride it. Um, so that's my souvenir. That's mommy. Um, if you're in Canada, it's on demand on Crave right now. So you got nothing else to do. Give it a watch. Um, I'm sure it's available on all sorts of other platforms. A fantastic film. And I'm so happy that Nick brought it for this episode of the Winchester Chronicles. Let us know what you think. Ryan at the matinee or Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash dark matinee. What do you think of Xavier Dolan's mommy? We're going to take a quick break and come back right after this with some more films. Come on back. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side. We're back. She's Nick Zara. I'm Ryan McNeil. Winchester Chronicles number nine. At one point, I thought I was only going to need nine of these. So it's a little sad <laughs> thinking already about number 10. Uh, we've been talking about Xavier Dolan's Mommy. Um, this is the part of the film where we kind of go down the spiral, uh, suggest some further reading uh, that could go along with uh, the, the main film up for discussion. Nick, why don't you get us started? What's a movie that you think that somebody should go on to um, after... The emotional roller coaster of mommy. So one um, is obviously like I killed my mother by Dolan, which I think everyone automatically started comparing because it also has Andorval as the mom in that. Well, which is um, funny. I actually haven't seen that one. That one is my, I think much closer to Dolan's own experience um, with his mother. But I so the sad thing is that I haven't watched it in a very long time but I couldn't like make myself watch go through another yeah yeah because yeah. I'm like that would make me an emotional wreck yeah it's it's, um, it's you know it, we're, but, we're all really raw right now you got to really play yeah. play things very carefully yeah so uh but what I do like distinctly remember is that you know like just the look of it like just the look of the, just Dorval's character and this she's like you know she's sort of like trashy uh, quote-unquote but she, on that she has like this sort of like a like a novo riche sort of new money sort of a look those are the things that i remember about it i'm sorry like it's also like a lot about like um like his queer experiences and stuff like in this all of that is like you get hints of um steve like being maybe bi or gay in that it's very clearly about like how he uh is like sort of like coming to terms with his sexuality and how like the sort of like again that's a very fraught relationship too but it doesn't have the adhd angle to it okay so in a way it's more realistic um but at the same time like it was just like when i had seen it it was insane to me that he was like an 18 year old or something when he made it right Mm -hmm. so just like for that and like to have to also, like to make a film called "I Killed My Mother at 18," like my mother would have killed me. So yes, you know, my, it's my just too. like the balls of it, you know. So that's um, for that. I would, I would, I would try. I'm going to try to rewatch it one of these days soon, hopefully. I, um, as, as you were talking, yeah. I just looked it up, and it's available uh, for me to stream. So I, I would expect that I'm probably going to watch that sometime in the next little while. I, it's, it's funny because where Dolan's movies are concerned, I've really only seen 
mommy and Tom at the farm. Um, and it's mm-hmm. not for lack of access. Like Lawrence anyways has been on Netflix here forever. And I've just never yeah. actually like, and I know that that's supposed to be gorgeous, uh, but I've yeah, just yeah, never yeah. actually like taken the bait and checked it out. Um, so, I'll, but I'll, I'll definitely check out, I killed my mother. Um, well, since we're talking about Canadian films uh, and I kind of alluded as much in the last section, um, my first other side uh, companion film is uh, ca- uh, from 2011, Café de Flore by Jean-Marc Vallée. I've brought this up on, on this show several times because it's a film I really, really adore. It's another movie that's got music at its heart. Um, yeah. it's, it's, you know, and just kind of, again, in the, in the way that Canadian film took a jump over the last decade and got so handsome like both of these movies are just so beautiful to look at um cafe de flore um as well is about kind of fractured relationships it's about you know a a a marriage that comes undone when a a husband falls for another woman um it's another movie about a mother and a son actually because it plays with these two stories on the one story you have this man who's who's kind of trying to navigate the end of one relationship and the beginning of another relationship. And then you keep flipping back in time to this mother with her son who has special needs. There's another connection. Um, and, and them trying to just navigate the day to day. Um, it's, it's a gorgeous film. Valet has gone on to do movies like Dallas Buyers Club. He directed Wild with uh, Reese Witherspoon. He is much better these days if you ask me at television. He did uh, Sharp yeah. Objects with Amy Adams. He did yeah. um, the first season of Big Little Lies with everybody. Cafe de Flore is kind of still where I go back, you know, when I want to go back home. Um, what's another movie that you had uh, to go along with Mommy? Okay, so one film that, like, it made me think of a lot because I, like, I saw it, I think, last week was uh, Miss Juneteenth. Which just came out. Oh, yeah. That is also a lot about the race. In just terms of like their economic and education background, like these two mothers struggling. And like that's why I was saying like something about hope because like in Miss Juneteenth, it's so much about like she literally lives on hope. Right? Yeah. Um, have you seen that? Sorry. Yeah, no, I have. I love it. It's, it's a great yeah. movie. Yeah, so, and I mean, uh, the basic, the most basic difference is just that, you know, like, uh, the character played by Nicole Bihari and Turquoise, she just, she's got, like, she had a very, like, loving daughter and, like, an intelligent daughter, you know, so she was, like, like, it's a much happier movie than Mommy mm-hmm. for that reason. But it's so much about that same sort of a hustle that, like, these two women go through. Like, I was thinking about that throughout today when I was watching uh, Mommy. Yeah. Because it's still very fresh in my mind. It's, it's, it's a very different situation and different dynamic, but like you say, um, it's about trying to push for something better, right? Like that, that's what the two movies yeah. have in common is neither one of the mothers are happy with where they are in life. They want something better for their children and for themselves. Yeah. Um, and two very different situations. Um, yeah. But in both of them, there's, you know, the real, 
the real hustle to try and get things better and, and the emotional drops when, when those ups and downs come. That's a great movie. Yeah. Um, Miss Juneteenth. It's, it's kind of funny because I know there's this talk of how this year is basically a complete write off, but at the same time, there's all of these smaller films that have dotted the landscape you know, seven months in that I really wish people would give a chance. And Miss Juneteenth is definitely one of them. It's, it's certainly one of the best films I've seen this year. Um, And I really hope more people give it a chance. Another film that I thought about, we kind of got fixated in the last section on the square crop of this film. So I tried Mm -hmm. to think about other films that use the square format. Um, I went to, uh, another film from 2011, same year as Café de Flor, I, went, I thought about Meek's Cutoff. Have you ever seen that? No. So that's a film by Kelly Reichard, who did um, yeah. Certain Women, and she. Right, I've been like chomping at the bit for a chance to see First Cow, uh, which finally, I think that hits on demand this weekend. Um, it's a film about settlers moving through Oregon back like when America was first being uh, settled by, by white people. Um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a movie that uses the square crop as well, even though it's really vast. Like there's lots of scenes that take place on these like Oregon plains and it's, it's basically a Western, but it uses the square crop because women back then tended to wear these really big, absurd bonnets. So Mm -hmm. their field of vision would be much smaller. So to kind of mimic that, Kelly Reichard decided to shoot this film square. So you don't have any periphery vision. You're always looking where she wants you to look. This is a movie that's much more meditative. Like, not a whole lot happens. The main crux of the film is trying to move... The, this, this basically this caravan is trying to move across the plains um, mm-hmm. but there are some moments where the tension is really really high like they, they make some moves where it's like one false choice and they're all about to be really screwed Kelly Reichardt she's a filmmaker who I really only kind of learned about in the last 10 years but she's a, a mm-hmm. filmmaker who now anytime she makes a movie I go I've only seen certain women. Um, I, didn't she make Night Moves? I think. Yeah, yeah, which is pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's yeah. a good movie too. But I, it's I've just like I think I've just delayed watching Meek's cut off because just like I don't know, it's it just has that look that it's going to be a little dreary, <laughs> and I'm just like I will watch it when I get to that like when I'm in that mood that place. and then yeah. I end up end up watching something else like in it every time. So yeah, you know, that happens. Right? Well, as I said, like I'm, I'm also thinking about meat's cut off these days because I'm, I'm just really waiting <laughs> anxiously for this cow. So, um, you okay. said you have, you yeah. said one more. What else you got? Ah, uh, so I think I just like I have all the movies I could think of had to do with maybe motherhood. So another one that was I was reminded of was The Hours, which is one of my oh, other yeah. absolute all-time favorite movies, um, especially with Julianne Moore's character, like the movie in general like deals with the idea of motherhood and who is suitable to be a mother or not but i just i was just reminded like especially like with dai's speech at the end when julianne moore also has a similar thing when she talks about you know like how she had to leave spoiler alert i guess how she had to leave <laughs> her son the hours is too vast a movie to like explain for too much but it was like specifically for like the motherhood angle and like the feelings of inadequacy and what you sometimes have to do for like what you think is best for you and your child. 
so in that way but like and but uh, like it deals with a lot otherwise so yeah i mean that's that's the crazy thing about parenting is no matter how many books are written and how many blogs are put up and how many groups are, are set up nobody knows what they're doing yeah. you know that that that's the crazy yeah. thing is th- there's there's some common rules that people can agree on but after that you can give your kids all kinds of attention you can give your kids no attention it's all just a complete crapshoot in terms of how how it all shakes down right um the hours is a great movie that i don't think i gave enough respect when i first saw it like i i would have seen it when it was released in in, yeah, in a theater in 2002 and at the time i wasn't really that familiar with um melodrama um in in its in mm-hmm. its good ways like i wasn't familiar with things like douglas sirk um or nicholas ray or that kind of thing yeah. i'd seen one or two movies but not the kind of movies that this movie really epitomizes so when mm-hmm. i've gone back to the hours now I there's things about that movie that I just flip over that in the first time I was like I don't get it. You know, I was like yeah, okay, it's it's nice. But now I look at that movie and I'm like yeah. holy shit. That that's a great choice to go along with this that, movie. That, that's that's a movie that also like I will I can cry watching the trailer of that film. Like, oh yeah, no, no jokes. I will cry. Yeah, um, <laughs> that movie destroys me like mommy does. I mean, it's, it's sad. It's the it's the movie that you watch to like. Why do you like as you started this whole thing? Like, why do you watch certain <laughs> movies knowing that it's going to like destroy you? That's another one. Yeah. That I oh yeah. That. No, I totally get that. It's another movie where the music is basically a character that Philip Glass score yeah. that almost like yeah, yeah, it yeah. threatens to kind of overtake the movie at at sometimes it was that was another thing that was weird for me was when i first saw the movie i was like i don't understand what's going on with the score and then i listened to the score on its mm-hmm. own and i just i loved it it's one of my favorite movie scores ever i recently heard it i'm saying i now i can't remember i like i freaked out when i heard it but i can't remember honestly like i heard it in something else <laughs> you're Quite probably recently. you're probably the only person who freaked out for it um well the, the last yeah, <laughs> Yeah, my brother's like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> <laughs> it's full of glass. Um, well, the last movie I want to bring up is I was trying to think of another movie to go along with the mother-son dynamic, and I went back um, just a few years, two or three years ago, to Twentieth Century Women um, with uh, that's directed by Mike Mills. Uh, we talked about him on this show. We talked about uh, beginners. 20th Century Women is a film from the last 10 years that I really think flew under the radar for a lot of people. Um, It didn't make a whole lot of noise when it came out. Um, It stars, it's got a great cast though. It stars Annette Bening, Elle Fanning, Greta Gerwig, um, Billy Crudup, Ali Chakrat. Um, And it's, again, it's a story about this boy that's being raised. He's played by Lucas Jade Zuman. I fixated on that movie because... It, so so there there's a mother son dynamic at its center but there's also um like a platonic female friend in it there's also a girlfriend um and it it got me fixated on men who were raised by women and men and men who were surrounded by women in their formative years um i mean selfishly because that was me 
my my most of my older cousins were female. My friends when I was a teenager were like primarily female, and it turns you into a a different sort of man when you when you grow up. I'm not saying that it's a magic bullet, and that you know men raised by women are inherently better. Uh, it, it's not, it's not that at all. You know, I, I think that, you know, that yeah. there is a place for men to be surrounded with other men and the, the role that they can serve, but it's just really fascinating to watch the male female dynamic take place when it's in, you know, in their formative years. That's the kind of thing that we see with mommy yeah. that she's trying and she's really trying to shape him as a better man. Um, oddly yeah. enough, that's the one fascinating thing about mommy is we never see his relationship with anybody else except Dai and Kyla. Like we don't see how he relates to his friends. He doesn't even seem to have any friends. We don't see how he relates to, to women, but watching it in 20th century women, watching to see how this guy, how he treats his girlfriend, how he treats his older friends, how he treats his mom. Um, it's really, really interesting to see. I really need to rewatch that film. I had loved beginners so much mm-hmm. that like I I I think I was way too hyped for it when it came. Yeah, and it's one of those movies that you it's it the hype doesn't serve it. Like no. you have to watch it in a, like a more like stable uh, state of mind. Yeah. So I really should rewatch, and I was just fixated on Red Eye <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I mean, and that's the thing is, like, there are a lot of the gimmicks that he uses in Beginners. He uses again in Twentieth Century Women, so that can be a turnoff. Yeah. But if you're just coming yeah. into it, like, kind of as something to watch, I really think it works. So maybe that's the thing. Like, while you've got all this time in your hands, maybe try to go back to Twentieth Century Women and see for if sure. it works a little bit better for you. Yeah, yeah, he has a new film coming out. I mean, he had one coming out because we had made like a list of like films that we want to we're waiting for. Oh yeah, I'm quite convinced that he was in that list. Oh then. yeah, he's got a film called Come On, Come On. It's uh, about a documentary filmmaker, Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby. Oh yeah, yeah, Joaquin yeah, Phoenix, yeah. Gabby Hoffman. Oh, it wasn't. It wasn't this year. It was next year. Uh, Whatever. I mean, what what are yours anyways? So. <laughs> what uh, is what is Thursday? <laughs> what is this? What is this weekend of which you speak? <laughs> Fair, yeah. good point well there we go that's the ninth dispatch of the winchester chronicles i'm so thankful for nick for coming by come on back on monday july 27th for our 10th dispatch we will be discussing certified copy and nick can be found at the across the universe podcast what do you guys have coming up next so we did a list of movies that we loved as teenagers that now that we watch are extremely <laughs> oh boy i i love yeah. those kinds of conversations there will definitely be a link uh in the show notes for this so please uh check out the chicks with accents i just i just love listening to you all talk basically you can you can talk about you know wallpaper and i would tune in so <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy that that has uh has, has kept up um if people want to uh if people want copious amounts of bts uh content where can they find you on twitter Yes. Uh, I will convert you all on uh, Nikhat underscore Z. Very cool. 
My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Apple, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, every podcasting platform you can think of. If it is not on your platform of choice, let me know and I will put it there. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. If you want to drop by and do an episode of the Winchester Chronicles or you have uh, thoughts on Mommy, uh, drop a dime in the comment section of the site, thematinee.ca. You can email me, ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter where I'm matinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Nick, before I let you go? Do you remember that you were the one who suggested that we should make the podcast? <laughs> I, I think, you know what? It's it's funny. I've reached a point where I'm like, I wonder if I did that or if I just imagined that I did that. I know you did. You know, I, I try to be, I try yeah, to be, I try to be humble about like, Oh, you know, you're only into that band because I played that band, yeah, like those kinds of thoughts. So yeah. I, 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 yeah. Now, now that you mentioned it, I do remember that. And that was maybe like the very first time. I don't even remember what movie it was for um, that I'd come on. So it's really great being back, and thank you so much for having me. And it was pleasure. so fun. Like I, I'm so happy because I feel like every time we've done it, it was for like a movie that at least one of us was lukewarm on. Yeah. And it's so good to like be excited over a film that we both saw. Definitely, I'll, I'll I'll make sure that when the show gets back up and running, that we can talk about something that we both love. Yeah, sure. For Nick, I'm Ryan. Wash your hands and call your person. Yeah, so not till the shit to say go.